This is a Federal News Network podcast. They won't make the Wall Street Journal Weekly Mansion section, but Marine Corps housing units are about to get their moment in the sun. In fact, certified inspectors and engineers are about to examine tens of thousands of Marines' homes. Why? It's all explained in this week's DOD Reporter's Notebook by Federal News Network's Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. First, we turn to Jared to ask about another large-scale undertaking as the Navy deploys virtual desktop capabilities to its reserve force. Jared, tell us more about the pilot and what they plan to do next. All we really know about the pilot at this point is that it involved about 250 users that the Navy Reserve involved among its its user base, presumably spread around the country as that workforce is. They were very happy with how it went, and so the plan is to roll that out to all 50 to 60,000 Navy Reservists around the country very soon. That is a big deal because it really dramatically expands um, those those users' ability to access government access government networks by definition. Reservists, for the most part, uh, and, and most of them, are not in a government office every day, do not have sometimes physical, easy access to the Navy Reserve facilities where they would need to go otherwise in order to just do something as simple as get access to email. So the, the purpose of this virtual desktop system is to allow them to get access to that remote desktop literally wherever they are using absolutely any device. It can be a government-furnished device. It can be a personally-owned tablet, a personally-owned phone, a personally-owned computer, completely device agnostic at least that is how the how the reserve is advertising it and they are really scaling up fast then if they're going from 250 tests to a quarter of a million say a thousand fold increase overnight that's takes guts. Yeah, it does. And, and and I think there are really two things playing into that. One is all of the backbone IT upgrades that almost literally every single agency started doing out of necessity toward the beginning of the pandemic. So a, a lot of uh, extra, not extra, but the, the sort of transport capacity that you would need in order to not just connect individual users to wherever the remote desktops are actually going to be hosted, but then connect also to the cloud, which is where most of the relevant data that most users day in, day out are going to be using as they transition to Operation Flank Speed, which is the Navy's instantiation of Office 365. That transition is happening at the same time and is probably one other reason why it makes more sense to consolidate these desktop environments into a into a you know into a single environment. So I, I think that's one thing going on here. The other thing is the reserve has had these sorts of ambitions for quite a few years now for the exact same reasons that I talked about pre-pandemic. Because of that distributed workforce, this this huge number of sailors who work far away from their uh, nearest Navy Reserve Center. And, and just need better ways to be able to get access to IT. Yeah, and that workforce is mobile, not simply in the sense of using a mobile device, but they are actually on the move very often from location to location. Yeah, depending on where they're being deployed, and that could be deployed aboard a ship, in case, they, in which case they probably do have better access because they're at least uh, you know, in proximity to Navy networks in that case. But yeah, being deployed to various locations around the United States on different missions, sometimes attached to sister services on joint assignments. So yeah, they can be they can be just about anywhere. And at this point, it really won't matter where they are. Federal News Network's Jared Serbo. And let's turn to Scott Massioni. And Scott, you have been following military housing issues in some detail now for a couple of years. What is the genesis of this inspection of Marine Corps housing? Again, is it the feeling that there's mold, rats, mildew, health sanitation conditions that need to be addressed? That's right. This is a follow-up to all of those situations that you just mentioned. And those situations are still happening at military, privatized military housing all across the nation and overseas for military service members at this point. 
what the Navy and Marine Corps are doing is they've hired a third party inspector to inspect all of their homes, uh, all the privatized military homes with two person teams of certified home inspectors, graduate engineers and professional engineers. And what they're going to be looking at is home interiors, exteriors, heating and cooling systems, equipment drainage, landscaping, other improvements. So this is a really pretty detailed look into the investments, really, that DOD has put into these. Because after these 50-year contracts that the Defense Department has with these housing companies, those buildings will go back to the Defense Department and will be uh, some sort of investment for the Defense Department to make sure that they maintain and and hopefully use farther into the future uh, in in good standing. Just what they want is 50-year-old apartment buildings to become on to the uh, books of the Defense Department. But is it strictly apartments or are there also privatized single-family homes? This will be every unit that is under the Marine Corps and the Navy. And this also isn't just in the Marine Corps and Navy. The Army and Air Force are going to be doing this as, as well. What this stems from is from the 2020 Defense Authorization Act, which asked the Defense Department to submit a plan to contract with a third-party company and assess the structural integrity and habitability of each of those privatized housing units. One of the issues they were running against was a lot of people felt uncomfortable having someone from their command walk into their house and possibly see you know, something that may cause bias or may make them feel uncomfortable uh, having their boss walk through their house or, you know, someone else from their command where they might get tattled on or something like that. So having these third party inspectors are helpful. Uh, The other thing about this is that these are really people who know a lot about houses. As, As I mentioned, these are engineers. These are pro home inspectors, not just people from a command or people hired by a company that may not have a lot of experience. The two companies that they're going to be working with are called Jacobs Engineering and HDR Engineering. They're the ones that will be contact, conducting the review for the Navy and Marine Corps. Uh, we still don't have information yet on how the Air Force and the Army will go forward with this. But the Navy and Marine Corps say that they'll be finished things uh, around the October time frame. So nobody will walk into their house and say, sailor, you got dishes in the sink. Clean that up. Exactly. They have uh, much more leeway and they can feel a little more, have a little more ease of mind at this point. All right. And Scott, I also wanted to ask you about your story on the veterans and the RAND Corporation study of those with post-traumatic stress disorder, that there are certain life factors that can help people cope better with that. Yeah, what the RAND Corporation did was they sort of did a study of studies. They aggregated about 70 different academic studies to find out what factors led veterans to stick with their PTSD treatments and how they responded to it. What really wasn't surprising is we've seen a lot of the same mental health factors that go into the civilian world uh, translating into PTSD. So being married, older, or having more severe PTSD were all factors that kept vets in treatment. However, mental illness comorbidities and high treatment expectations also kept them from com- kept them coming back. Uh, on the other hand, depression and service-related disabilities tend to have lower retention. Uh, on the side of response to those treatments, they found that people who, who have high income, uh, who are employed, who have a good social support system, found better response to treatments. Uh, they also found that individual therapy tended to be a little bit better than group theory with therapy, which I actually found interesting because we've heard that veterans sometimes have a little bit trouble finding their tribe once they get back from combat areas and finding people that really understand the situations that they've been through. Um, on the other hand, depression, anger, high t- higher PTSD severity, and combat exposure 
led to lower response rates to these treatments. Uh, so one of the things that Rand is asking that the Defense Department and the, the VA Affairs Department look at is, you know, how they can better work with and help vets with PTSD by identifying service-related disabilities during admission efforts. That way they can try and make better efforts to retain them in their treatment. So housing and PTSD, two big studies. It all depends on what they do with what they learn. That's right. Federal News Network, Scott Mossione. Thanks so much. Thank you. And earlier we heard from Jared Serbu. Check out their DOD Reporter's Notebook at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? 
I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind. Um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, 
Let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the the art of of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, And I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. Hi, it's Kristen. Did you know that not doing things is easier than doing them? There's a lot of things to do, especially this time of year. But when you don't do things, there's more time to do things. Does that make sense? What I mean is when you use Shipt to get everything from gifts to groceries delivered same day, you have more time for the things you want to do. To not do things so that you can do other things, visit shipt.com slash holiday. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com slash holiday.